Hi, my name is uh, Micah McKelvin, and I get to work and serve Christ with an entity called Vapor International, and it's a privilege to be with you guys this morning and tie the challenge this morning into this series you all are in called Brevity. On October, on October 9th, 1996, God taught me very personally that my life is like a vapor. I dove into a wave, shattered four vertebrae in my neck, was trapped in what's called a longshore current, drifted down the beach. A man found me, a stranger walking down the beach, saw what he thought was a lifeless body, went out into the water, lifted up my hand. My father and mother who saw me dive in ran down the beach My father pulled me out of the water. I had no heartbeat, no pulse, no body functions whatsoever. Technically, clinically, I was dead. They resuscitated me. I was life-flighted to Tampa General Hospital. And that's what I mean when I say, on October 9th, 1996, God taught me that life is like a vapor. Obviously, I didn't die. I'm here today. Newsflash. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. That'd be a pretty awkward response if you were like, oh. (laughs) But God taught me my mortality, the brevity of life, that at the end of the day, life is like a vapor. He opened my eyes to the poor and the lost coming out of that process and put a passion in my heart and our hearts to advance the gospel amongst the poor and the lost. And ultimately, eventually led us to establish the entity we now call Vapor International. This October, next month, will be our 10-year anniversary. So this morning, um, first, before we dive in, I want to introduce my wife. This is my bride. If you'll stand up, this is my bride and uh, my best friend. She's got a little bump. First one due, December 16th, so be praying for us. Uh, but this morning, as I, was, or as I was talking with Jeff, and he asked me to come in and anchor this series on brevity, and uh, he said, really, what he wanted, as we were talking, he, he said, let's, let's put the focus on the greater global needs. The, in light of the urgency of eternity, we want to get a bigger view of global issues. And so we framed up, I framed up this morning's talk, this morning's challenge, or really around three questions. What is extreme poverty? Let's look at global issues. Let's get a view of that. What does God's word have to say about how we're to respond? As Christ followers, what does he call us to do in his word? And then we'll segue in and talk about how this entity, Vapor International, is responding and how you can be involved. Let me pray for us. Father, we come before you this morning. And we thank you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you for your love that you have lavished upon us. God, we want to make much of you with our short lives. We want to make a difference in this world. We want to obey your word, and we want to follow your call to care for the hurting, the lost, and the poor. I pray this morning, Father, you would use your word to remind us of your heart, that you would quicken us by your word, that you would enlighten us, and that you would mobilize us into action. Move 
in our midst today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First, global vantage point. Global issues. Extreme poverty was defined by World Bank in 2011 as follows. So here's the definition of extreme poverty. It's people that are trying to survive on less than $1.25 a day. So think about that for a moment. It's people trying to sustain life, survive, take care of their families on less than $1.25 a day. Along with that definition, the statistic, the reality is there's an estimated 1.1 billion people trying to survive in extreme poverty. What does that look like? What does that feel like? It would be very hard to go there this morning to get a full view of what that feels, smells, looks like, those environments that are defined by extreme poverty. But I have an image from, that's outside of one of our centers to just kind of give a little bit of a picture of that. Oftentimes, these environments will have little to no access to clean drinking water. Oftentimes, electricity is, is non-existent. Infrastructure is very weak. And so folks are in, live in very difficult, dire conditions. I remember my first exposure was in 2004, about 2004. I went to a slum called Kalangwadi Slum in East Africa. And I remember as I walked through a slum, much like what you see here on the screen, I came across a section and there was a dump just like here and there was a, a, a hill just like there. And there was these three boys and they had little tattered shirts, holes in them. I remember the wind blowing just right and you could kind of see the exposed ribs. Boys picked down into the muck with these sticks and and horror gripped my heart as I watched as they reached down in and began to feed themselves out of the dump. I asked the man that I was with, the Kenyan that I was with, I said, what's going on here? And he said, these are, these are street boys. They're trying to survive. Live, they live off the dumps. And I remember, I remember just seeing those realities. And, and all of a sudden, those statistics, those stale statistics of 1.1 billion people, it became names, they became names, they became faces. The, the, the poverty problem began to become personal. And I remember after coming back from that and wrestling through and beginning to work through, what am I supposed to do with that? I remember coming to a crossroads and realizing I'd spend the rest of my life trying to forget what I saw or spend the rest of my life trying to do something about it. And really diving into God's word and, 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 and asking the question as a Christ follower, what does God have to say about that? What does his word have to say? I begin to realize that he has not been silent. So what are we to do in light of that? Those statistics are reality today. So the next question, what does God call his people to do about it? Did you know that in scripture, over 400 times, God calls his people to respond to the needs of the poor? 400. I don't know what your church orientation is. I know some maybe this is the first time you've come to church in a long time. For some, you had a bad experience and you're, you're coming back in. For some, maybe you grew up hearing the Word of God. Regardless of, regardless of what that looks like for you, in my experience, my, my parents used to say, my dad used to say, if God says, in his, it, says it in His Word once, we need to listen and obey. 
what if he says it over 400 times? <laughs> There's a clear message coming across, right? So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look up all 400 of those scriptures. Okay, no, that's, that'll be a little much. We're going to take a small cross-section, and we're just going to dive into some of the Proverbs and some New Testament scriptures and try to, get, try to answer that question. What, do, what does God call his people to do? What does God say on this subject of how we're to care for the poor? First, we're going to move into some of the Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 31, I love this passage. There's a backstory. I'm going to tell it to you real quick. Uh, Proverbs, I was a senior in college. Uh, when I was a freshman in school, my parents said, hey, you know, don't get too into the girl thing, you know, do school, um, study, enjoy life a little bit, you know, enjoy college a little bit, don't get wrapped up in a relationship. It's like, okay, no problem. Freshman year, didn't have a girlfriend. Sophomore year, didn't have a girlfriend. Junior year, didn't have a girlfriend. By senior year, my mom was like, okay, what's going on here? You need to, you need to have, get a girlfriend, you know, all that type of stuff. So I said, okay, mom, I'm not like really pursuing that right now. But I said, if you wanted me to, to look for a godly girl, what, what's the lens or the grid through which you'd want me to look? And she said, read Proverbs chapter 31. It's called the virtuous woman passage, right? Proverbs chapter 31 was a proverb written to a prince, a young man who is going to become a king, going to become a leader in Israel. And the essence of Proverbs chapter 31 are here's qualities you should look for in a wife, because a good wife is going to make you or break you. And here's important things, principles, that you need to hang on to as a leader. So imagine, here's a leader. He's going to be a king. He's not going to be in need or want. And here are principles that are important for him to embrace as he comes into his leadership. And embedded in Proverbs chapter 31, over and over again, our commands that he is a leader is to care for the poor. He's not going to be in need or want, but he is called to stand up for the poor, to care for the poor. One of those passages is right here, Proverbs chapter 31. Look at the emotion in that, this call. Open your mouth, judge in righteousness, and plead the cause of the poor and the needy. You feel the emotion in the language? Young man, you're going to come into your own, and you're not going to be in need or want? But I want you to plead the cause of the poor. Stand up for the poor. Care for the hurting, the neglected. This, this, this command, this call is all over Scripture. A few other Proverbs that speak to these types of realities. Proverbs chapter 22, 9. I want to read this over to you. Here's what it says. The generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. God's called us to be conduits. He entrusts us with resources to funnel them to the hurting and the poor. That's the essence of that command. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 31. Listen to what he says here. He who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. Did you catch that? He who oppresses the poor is oppressing the poor, Right? He who is kind to the needy is kind to the needy, right? Yes, that's true in a sense, but what does he say? When you oppress the poor, you're oppressing me. When you're kind to the needy, you're honoring me. 
God takes it personal. That same concept you find in in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 17. Listen to this. It says, he who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. And God will reward him for what he has done. In verse 17, God draws a personal parallel between his heart for the poor and how personally he takes it. He says, when you're kind to the needy, you're honoring me, doing it as unto me. Now, this principle isn't just an Old Testament principle. Remember, over 400 calls and commands in God's word. We're just looking at a snapshot. We're just looking at a few. But this concept of God taking it personal and and saying, when you serve the poor in my name, when you serve in that way, it's as if you're doing it to me, runs into the New Testament. We're going to take a look at Matthew chapter 25. Some, Some of you may be familiar with this passage, but I want to read this over you. Matthew chapter 25, verse 42. Now listen to the listen to that theme of God taking it personal. Here's what he says. Here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison. And you did not look after me. And they also will answer, Lord, when? When do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? You see the surprise? You see the surprise? And they're like, what are you talking about? Jesus? I mean, like, Jesus, you were hungry? You needed a drink of water and we didn't give you water to drink? When? They're shocked. They were crossing their T's, dotting their I's. Now think about that for a moment. Because his response here is very interesting. He says to them, and he will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. You see that connect? You see that connection he draws? Now if we think about it, As Christ followers, if Jesus Christ was here in the flesh amongst us and he said, I need something to drink, we would be fighting over who gets to serve him. No, I'm buying his lunch. I'm I'm bringing him water. Dasani, Aquafina, whatever, we'll get the best. We would be fighting over who would get to serve Jesus personally, right? And he says, you get to serve me personally. I take it personal. When you share and you care and you serve the poor in my name. It's a powerful principle that runs throughout Scripture. Graceless religion morphs into neglect of the poor. But gospel living follows Christ into physical service amongst the poor. It's share the hope of Jesus Christ. It's Share the gospel and show the gospel. Show his compassion. Show his love for people that are hurting. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, he makes a crystal clear connect between the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, and his call for us to physically serve the hurting. 
Now, we sang about the gospel, and I am so thankful for the scriptures read about the gospel. Praise God for the good news that Jesus Christ looked at us in our helpless state and came and died on the cross paying for our sins that we, because of his death on our behalf, that we through faith in him could be called his sons and daughters, could be forgiven and be called his children. Praise God for that. Are you thankful for that? I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that God looks at me and sees me as clean before him because of Jesus' work on my behalf. I am thankful for the gospel. Well, 1 John 3, 16 starts off with that reminder. What does he say? He says, we have come to know love by this. What? How have we come to know love? How have we come to know love? He goes on to tell us, we have come to know love by this, that Jesus laid down his life for us. The gospel. Praise God. Jesus laid down his life for us. That is love. Yes, praise God. He goes on to say, therefore, we ought to lay down our lives for others. The next verse says this, but whoever has the world's possessions and sees his fellow brother in need and shuts off his compassion against him, how can the love of God reside in such a person? See, in God's economy, he says, he showed us such grace because Jesus took on our situation, took on our poverty so that we could be made righteous in him, so that we could have life in him. And he says, carry that forward. Let that grace that I have given you well up in you to good works, to serve others, to care for the hurting, to care for the poor. This is all over in God's Word. In both Old Testament and New Testament, the Bible cries out, I don't want vain religious show. I want you to show pure religion. Care for the hurting. Be my voice. Be my feet. Care for the poor. So we as an entity at Vapor International, we simply want to take God's call and put it into action in real, practical, relevant, effective ways. So what we do as an entity is we go into those slums, we go into those third world environments, and we establish centers. And these centers are places from which we aim to alleviate poverty, multiply disciples, and carry out the work in such a way that brings honor to God and raises up people from these slums, giving them opportunity and putting, empowering them and equipping them to be change agents and make a difference in their slums. So we establish centers and their places from which we alleviate poverty, multiply to disciples, and aim to function in ways that are more sustainable. So I'm going to walk out what that looks like on the ground. Real-time centers in slums where the love of Christ is advancing. So first, we aim unashamedly to multiply disciples. We take the love of Jesus Christ and we share the gospel and make disciples raise up and build up people in their faith and equip them to be able to themselves advance the gospel, share the gospel. And we chiefly use the platform of the sport of choice. So now we call football the pigskin, right? Globally, 
globally football, uh, we call soccer, right? So many of these young people, in many of the places we go, there's a passion for this game, soccer. And so we actually build a beautiful place where young people can come and play. It starts at about age six, and it goes all the way up into professional ranks into about 30s. And we have leagues, age-sensitive leagues. Young people come to practices, and 30 minutes of each practice is dedicated to life-on-life discipleship. They come to do something they love. They play on beautiful fields. For many of these kids, they, they love the game of soccer, but many of them have never actually touched a real ball. They play with trash balls from the slums. Many of them have never had a, a piece of new clothing. The vapor jerseys, their first new piece of clothing. And so you have this utopian center where kids come out of the slum to do what they love. And while they're there, they're loved on by local indigenous people that we've raised up that are advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they're, they're hearing about the hope that is found in Christ. Disciples are being raised up. A generation is being raised up from the slums that will be the change agents to make a difference in their communities. We praise God as disciples are being made. Secondly, at our, at our centers, there are hubs from which we alleviate poverty. So we we identify what are the real issues, what are the physical issues that are common in many third world environments. And in the name of Christ, with the love of Christ, we get to meet people's needs right where they're at. So I'm going to just share with you a few of the ways that we're able to serve the poor through our centers. First, we have around 3,500 young people in our disciple-making leagues. We take the poorest of those kids, the kids that can't afford an education, and we actually fund their formal education in schools in the area. So they're able to not only hear the love of Christ, but they have an education and an opportunity to break the long-term cycle of poverty. Second, at each of our centers, we aim to serve the communities with clean water. Now, I grew up having clean water. For me, it was a luxury item. Always close to it, right? Most of us have running water. Sometimes if it's not drinkable, we can get bottled water. But in some of the places we work, Young people walk up to four, or from four to six miles to access water. So we actually go in and we put in a master water project with a distribution point so people have right in their backyard, right in their community, clean, permanent, renewable water. It's amazing to see the excitement and the draw in a community when clean water is provided. At two of our five centers... When we put in the commercial grade well, when we put in the water well, it was the first time in the city's history that they had clean, uh, access to clean drinking water. Third, we're able to serve, we're able to serve people that are, uh, uh, that are prone to um, preventable diseases, um, unnecessary deaths associated with preventable diseases. And that works out in two ways. One, we have a disease prevention and avoidance training curriculum and program that runs at our center. So our young people go through uh, prevention and avoidance training, helping them to overcome the issues that are systemic in their areas. And then we have what we call a critical grant care process. So sometimes when people come to a center, what they need is they need immediate help. One example at our center in Togo, a man was walking through the center, four-year-old child, had him hanging over his, his, his shoulder, dejected look on his face. And one of our staff persons ran up, ran into him and said, you know, what's going on? You look sad. And, and the, man, the man communicated. He said, I'm going to lay my child to rest. 
He'd given up hope, four years old. So, so what, what's wrong? What's happening? He said, well, my child has malaria. Well, malaria is totally curable. He said, have you gone to some of the clinics? There's clinics nearby. He said, yeah, we just don't have the, fun. we just didn't, don't have the funds. So we were able to take him down, get him the critical care grant, get him the provision he needed, and the child's life was saved. The family came from a voodoo and witchcraft background. They ended up coming to the local church that we partner with there. And they ended up, the family ended up coming to faith in Christ. Have you ever seen the story in Acts where Cornelius and his household come to Christ? It was like that. And he testified and he said, I never understood fully the grace of the gospel until somebody ministered to my physical needs and I couldn't repay them. He saw the love of Christ through that. Lastly, at each of our centers, we're able to, we, we put in agricultural products, or pardon me, agricultural projects, farming projects. We have a, we have a banana, a six-acre banana plantation at our center in Haiti. We have an egg-laying operation at our center in Togo. All of that pulled together. At the end of the day, you have this picture. God has called us to care for the poor. God has called us to share the hope of Christ the lost. And so we go in and we establish centers and slums. And from those centers, serve people physically, serve people spiritually, bringing honor and glory to Christ, meeting real tangible needs in a way that makes a difference in the communities we serve. Now, some people, some people respond to statistics. Some people respond to stories. I want to share with you just a couple things. I want, to, I want to share this story. First of all, right now, by God's grace, we have five operating centers. Tens of thousands of people we're serving on a weekly basis. And we have around 3,500 in the disciple-making leagues. But to make that real personal, this story, pardon me, this story here really, for me, brings it home. My wife and I got to fly to Haiti for the grand opening of the center there. Our staff had worked hard. And they're about to open it to the community. The night before, there's a buzz in the air. People in the community are excited about what's coming. And we met this little girl, Nashka. She was about four, five years old. I have a pretty hairy arms. It was about eight or nine o'clock at night. And this little girl is playing with my arm here. I don't know her from anybody. And finally, I was like, who is this girl? Like, what's going on? Where's her mom? And they said, oh, that's Nashka. Well, who's Nashka? That's the daughter of Eddie. Who's Eddie? I don't, I'm new here. I don't know anything. Tell me what's going on. And they said, oh, you don't know about Eddie? They said, Eddie, like any good father, wanted to take care of his family, but life was tough. Challenges were hard. He couldn't, he couldn't get a job, and he was afraid his family was going to starve, so he illegally crossed the border into Dominican Republic, hiked about 70 miles through the bush, found a, a job in a city called Santiago, but the wrong people caught him. He was extorted, and by the time he got back to the country... He was, he was desperate and he was ready to give up. But when we started the center, he, he ended up coming and getting a job. He heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and the hope of Christ changed his life. He worked hard through the building phase of the center. And when we were going to hand out the permanent jobs, the, the indigenous people who would run the center, he, was, he got the first job. He was a night guard, got promoted to day guard, Got one more promotion, and now he's overseeing the grounds. A few months ago, I was down in Haiti, and after, putting, uh, after attending to the guests and guests went to bed, I ended up getting to go out and spend some time with Eddie and their families building a small home. 
and we sat in a little home underneath candlelight, and he was saying what God has done in their life and how he's so thankful for his job and the ministry through the center, how they're making disciples. And I noticed these two little feet coming out of this little bed they had in the corner. They have two children, but I noticed two other little feet. I said, who are those little kids? And they said, you know, God's been good to us. And so we decided to take in a couple orphans in the city. And I looked at him, and I heard his heart as a disciple, making disciples in this community. And I just told him, I said, Eddie, when I grow up, I want to be like you. Is they're embracing the calls of God's word, and they're now serving their own people. Christ is making a difference. He's raising up change agents on the ground. They're making a difference. Poor being served, the lost being shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we begin to transition, as we begin to move towards closure in this service, I, I want to segue in and I want to just bring some real practical application. For those that are saying, yes, I see God's word. Yes, I see his heart for the poor. And, and I want to engage more. I, I want to give you just two points of application. First, I know the heart of this church is to make a difference here in the greater nation and in the world. And I want to encourage you to engage with this church, to engage, engage in, in service, to pour into, to vest in to what God is doing through my church. Be a part of God's outreach through his local church. I want to encourage you with that. For those of you who say, yeah, I get that. I, I see what God's doing through vapor. How can I be involved with that? I'm, I'm going to share just a couple of ways that you can be involved. First, we're praying that God would raise up an army of folks that would come alongside the entity and sow in and support this mission on a monthly basis. It may be $10 a month, $20 a month, $100 a month. It doesn't matter the amount. We're praying that God would raise up mission supporters that would come alongside monthly. And we have a program we call Vapor 12, and it's simply Vapor 12 partners. They're folks that say, we want to do that. We want 12 months in a year. We're going to sew in on a monthly basis. If that is of interest to you, or if you have interest in partnering in any other ways, I want to encourage you to come over to our table. We'd love to just give you some material, give you some information on that. We also, uh, out at the table in the lobby, you'll see these sign-up cards. You can come and just sign up, get our monthly e-news updates. We'd love to keep you up to date on what God's doing. Stay connected with you. Finally, as we close our service, I'm going to show a small video, but as we close our service, I want to encourage you. I want to exhort you. I want to challenge you. May we be a people. May we be a people that are moved by the compassion that moved Christ on our behalf. May we be a people that engages the issues in our world, that engages the spiritual and physical need in our world and shows the love of Christ with our short lives. At the end of the day, life is like a vapor. It appears for a moment and vanishes away. I want to exhort you, don't spend yours on the sidelines.
One out of every seven people in the world lives in hunger. Four hundred million children don't have access to safe drinking water. Twenty-two thousand children die each day from preventable causes. And nearly a billion people entered the 21st century unable to read a book or sign their names. Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. At Vapor International, we are taking action. We aim to establish sustainable centers for alleviating poverty and multiplying disciples in third world environments. If the center is complete and the staff are trained, uh, then they are empowered to uh, manage the center themselves. Vapor uses the universal language of sports to reach out to children and to the entire community. Right from the time Vapor started working here, you see guys coming to Christ. And I can testify concerning my church, you see a lot of souls coming to Christ, and uh, it's something that we have to praise God for. That is it. At Vapor Centers, we tackle poverty. From initiating master water projects and fighting illiteracy, to providing disease prevention training and agricultural development, we're committed to alleviating poverty in the many forms that surround our centers. First, we come in with clean drinking water, uh, food stipends, child education, just meeting the immediate needs. And then we're able to share the gospel of Christ with them, and that Christ made them one purpose, and that they have gifts, and that they have the ability and the power to make change in their country. Vapor gives children a place to run. With the Word of God, we give them someone to run to. We use sports to reach people. You drop a ball, and you pull up hundreds, parents, kids. So using sports, especially in this part of the world, using soccer as a tool is the most perfect idea. Because when they come here, we have an opportunity to tell them about God. People from the community helping people in the community, alleviating poverty, equipping the unequipped, and multiplying disciples. This is Vapor. My, my wife and I, we met Audrey and Micah several years back when we were in Atlanta. Uh, we fell in love with them instantly, predominantly because of their hearts, but also they, we, we just were like blown away that here's two young, very sharp, uh, sharp, got it going on, career-minded people who were living out of their car, starting this ministry. We fell in love with them. When we launched our church here, we said we want to partner with Vapor, and so we launched our church partnering with Vapor. I took my first trip over to the Kawanguari slums probably five years ago and was just blown away by what I saw. I was tearing up with my wife just a minute ago, remembering uh, some of those places that I saw in that video were places that I had been. And uh, 
so God still moves uh, in my heart just seeing some of those kids. And um, on our second year of church here, um, we had someone donate a truck. They donated some hot rod pickup truck. And we said, all right, church, here's what we want to do with this truck. This guy said, you can keep it. And I really was wrestling with that. Like, I would have loved to kept that truck. But no, I can't be the pastor that's that guy. So we said, why don't we auction this truck off? And Vapor's going to be launching soon their their um, their center in Haiti. So we wrapped this pickup truck. Some of you guys that may have been with us at that time in the church, we wrapped this truck and we said, the Haiti Project. And I think we raised somewhere around $10,000, gave this, this young uh, military wife, uh, won the pickup truck, and we sent that money over to launch, help launch the Haiti Project. And um, I've never been to Haiti, but I'm committing because I, I, I want to go. Um, but here's, here's what I want you to know. Um, we want to expose you to people we believe in. We want to expose you to ministries that we really, really believe God is using. Our church exists to help people find their way back to God. That's what we do. And so the, the way we do that is by leveraging what God's doing in our hearts here in our own city. Uh, we've, had, we've had over 1,000 people that have given their life to Christ here in this church. We baptize hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people here in this church that have had their lives transformed. But we don't want to just be here. We believe Scripture is very, very clear that we want to reach our city, we want to reach our nation, we want to reach and serve people globally. We put our 100% stamp of approval on Vapor Sports Ministry, Vapor Ministries, um, because of their hearts. And so here's my, my hope. My hope is that in the future, we, w- we, would, we would take some trips. I've been to Africa. I want to go to Haiti. I would love for us to consider taking trips. Here's the joy of Vapor. The, one of the cool things about Vapor, we can go together, or you can just go to their website and pick a trip out. They've got on their websites probably all the way into 2017 right now, planning trips, opportunities for, for people like you and I. Whether you go with a group, go by yourself, uh, there's options. The other option is this. Uh, I remember talking to a guy um, in, in you know, several months back in our church who said, I've got a heart. I'll, this is what I want to do. This is, this, is, this is what I want to do. Some of you today could be on the edge of, of perhaps feeling like, a calling in life to do something like this. Uh, their headquarters is just uh, over the hill in Birmingham. And they've got a wonderful facility in Birmingham where uh, they train people, where they educate people, and they've got employees that are training right now to go over in some of these different places. When people come off the mission field, they give them an opportunity to kind of uh, let their hair down and get regrouped. They, they come back to the Vapor headquarters. Some of you right now might need just a little bit of nudge. Just a little nudge, and I want to nudge you today. If God is leading you to say, you know what, I, w- I want to take a summer, I want to serve for a year, or maybe this is my, I feel like could be my life. I want to encourage you to, to get to know these guys at Vapor. They're incredible folks. And another thing that Michael did not mention, uh, if you've ever been driving up and down Veterans Parkway, there is a Vapor thrift store, a Vapor thrift store that exists because of our connection with Vapor. There is a store here that exists that uses all their resources to help with what they're doing overseas. So the, the clothes and things you drop off and bring there, the resources uh, from that go to completely the ministries overseas. Excuse me for my mic going out. Um, what I want to do right now, I want to close, invite our host teams to come up. We're going to close with an offering. Here's what I want to do today. 
Some of you guys realize that our church is completely supported by you. You support this ministry, how, how, we, how we reach our city, how we, how we grow our kids' ministries, the Monster Mash that's coming up. All that we do is supported by you guys. What we always do is we encourage you to serve and give to your church so we can others. So what we normally do, every time you give, every, every month our church is giving to our partners. Out of how you fund our church, we also take a percent. We take well over 10%, and we give that money away. We use it and operate a ministry, but we also give it away. And so today what I'd like to do is, is I'd love to d- at least double what we normally do to give to ministries. I want to double that today. I want to give 25% of what you guys give today to our Vapor uh, friends. So as you consider giving today, I want you to give big, and I want to serve these guys today what they do. And let's plan a trip, all right? Let's plan a trip. I need, I need some leaders to help us. Jump on board and plan some trips. So if you're one of those people that said, you know what, I want to help, I'd love to utilize you. Let me pray for us. God, as you uh, have used Micah to stir our hearts, stir my heart today, God, I pray that you would use, um, you would use the stories, the, the realities, not just pictures on a screen, but God, real people, real places. God, would you use us to make a difference in somebody else's life. God, in the very same way that you gave and sacrificed everything for us, God, would you help us not to be people who are closed-hand and stingy and thinking about ourselves? God, would you help us to be open-handed and leveraging our lives and our stuff, our resources and our time and our talent and our treasure for somebody else? God, in Jesus' name, would you use this church to make a difference for you? God, I pray for every man, woman, and child in this city, but not just this city. God, I pray for the ones who are in Togoville, who are in Haiti, God, who are in Nairobi and Kenya and all over, God, that you're wanting to reach out to through the, through the use of your beloved children here, God, these Vapor Partners. God, I pray that you would use us to make a difference. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.